My name is Jeff Goki. I am the new senior high youth pastor here at Cornerstone. Yay! And every once in a while, they let me pop up here and preach. It's dangerous, but they let me do it. So I'm thankful for it. So um, we started a brand new series a couple weeks ago called Inside Out. And really what we're trying to communicate through this series is that somewhere in the midst of us reading our scriptures and really allowing them to permeate our hearts and convict us, we start living different. Have you ever noticed that? You really start applying God's word to your life, and all of a sudden people are like, man, you seem joyful. You seem so giving. What is going on? And it's because you're not only just hearing God's word, but you're processing through it. You're wrestling with it, and then you're living it out in your life. And and this is really what Ephesians is trying to get at. Ephesians is a call to live different in light of who God is. And so Paul is the author. Uh, he's currently in jail. Paul's a missionary. He wrote most of the New Testament. Um, and he's currently in jail right now. And uh, he's writing this letter to the church to tell them some very significant things. Now, I think within Christendom we get so busy uh, reading the Bible like a book, right? Like it's like a twilight book and we got to blow through it to get to the end so we can hear the end of the story. By the way, the end of the story is Jesus wins, okay? I just gave it up, okay? So I just gave away the whole story, but we start reading the Bible like a book and we've got to start reading it like a love letter, right? And, and this is Paul's love letter to the Ephesians, He's writing this letter because he cares for them. In fact, he calls them his beloved. And what he's trying to do is, I'm sitting in prison. I can't be with you, but here's some things I desperately want you to change. I desperately want you to know. And so he writes this letter not only to the Ephesians, but to you and I. And it is a love letter. And I, and I just think if you were to read scripture in that light, that maybe it might change something for you. Right? Instead of treating it like a book, it's a letter. It is The whole Bible is God's love letter to you and I. And I, I think it's so cool that we get to dive into this thing and we get to learn from it. I love that. And so we're going to do that this morning. Are you down? Are you ready to roll? Because we're going to throw down some scripture today and it's going to be fantastic. God's going to do a work in a lot of your lives. I believe that. Uh, I know it's been working overtime in, in my life. Ephesians 2 is where we're going to be going. Uh, Ephesians 2 is one of the most fundamental chapters out of the entire Bible. One of the most important chapters out of the entire Bible. A lot of its truth, a lot of truth uh, hinges based upon this one chapter. In fact, the first nine verses that we're going to be talking about, that, that the whole Bible to some extent hinges on this principles, on the principles that are in here. And it really does present a very good case. Paul is writing this to Christians. So if you're a Christian in the room, he's writing this to you. If you're not a believer here in the room, you need to understand this is still applicable to you. And you need to hear it. But he writes past, or, uh, past, present, and future in this passage. This was your past. This is your present. This is your future. And that's what he's going to talk about in, in the next nine verses. Sound good? Um, when I was a kid, uh, I, uh, I was growing up. It's an important thing to do when you're a kid. Um, 
and I had moved forward enough to where I needed to get a new bike. You know, the old bike with the, with the uh, you know, the, what do they call that, pedal stop, you know? Like, I was done with that. I'm all grown up now. And my dad's like, let's go get you a new bike, which was awesome. So I went to Toys R Us, wherever you go to get bikes, and uh, there she was. She was all chromed out. She was like a lovely lady. She was all chromed out, and she had pegs in the back. It was fly, right? And the name of the bike, I kid you not, was the Viper. How cool of a name is that for a bike? The Viper? I was like, oh, I'm going to get on this Viper, and I'm going cru- to attack some people. It's going to be great. The Viper had pedals, and it had teeth on the pedals. Viper teeth on the pedals. And I was like, this is going to be awesome. I'm going to shred this world up, okay? And so I get home, and we lived on top of this hill. I say hill, but it really was a mountain, okay? It was a hill slash mountain. It was gigantic, and it was like straight down. It wasn't like a, oh, what a cute little hill. It was like, oh, my gosh, is that a hill or a mountain, okay? And our house was right on top. And we would go for Sunday morning bike, or Sunday afternoon bike rides after church. Okay, we'd go for Sunday afternoon bike rides. And my dad would say to me, Jeff, listen, you got the Viper. Okay, it's cool. But your little girl arms can't squeeze those uh, brakes yet. So you can't leave without me because I don't want you to die, okay? And, and I got to go help your sisters for a second. And again, just... You're not strong enough to squeeze those brakes. I was like, what's up, pops? You know, like, I'm ripped, right? And, and, and I, uh, I proceeded to leave the house. And my dad was helping my sisters. And I took off down the hill. And I was like, oh, man, he doesn't know what he's talking about, right? And I was cruising down the hill. And things were going really good. Like, I was moving. And I was going good as, like, freedom. <laughs> what does he know? <laughs> right? And then I get to that point in the hill, like, terminal velocity, it's, there's like a tipping point at a hill when you're going down it or a mountain where it's like, you know, when you're driving and all of a sudden it's like, whoa, this thing's getting away from me. Uh, yeah, that's what happened, okay? And so I'm driving and all of a sudden this is not fun anymore and I'm cruising and my lips are flapping and my eyes are watering because I'm going so fast and I'm, 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 I'm going to die. And then I went back to old bike mentality. I'll just throw on the brakes. Oh, no, bad decision because the pedal whipped around and the teeth sunk into my shin. The viper bit me. <laughs> that viper bit me in my shin. I started bleeding. And I'm screaming because I'm going down the hill. I'm screaming because my shin's on fire and bleeding profusely. And I'm going to die. I'm going to die. And I'm flying down this hill. Now, at the bottom of the hill, it plateaus into a road, okay? And then on the other side of the road, it's like a drop-off, okay? So every scenario is bad at this point. I hit the road, and it picks me up off my bike. I hit a rock on the other side of the bike, and I flip over my handlebars, okay? I go over my handlebars, and I go through a briar patch. Now, briar patch are these little, little thorns, not these massive daggers that we have in Arizona, okay? Little ones. And I went all the way through it. In the midst of going through it, somehow my body flipped over backwards, and I landed on the ground, and I passed out. And I woke up. And I was laying between two rocks and then these two trees that were arm length away. And then this, there was an old lady there. <laughs> and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm in heaven and it's full of old people. 
she's going to kiss me on the mouth like my grandma. <laughs> this is terrible. <laughs> but in that moment, I remember laying there, and, I, and this is like clear as day. And I remember thinking, I deserve this. I deserve to be here. You know what I mean? Like, I completely disobeyed my dad. He told me this would happen, and I completely disobeyed. I did my own thing. I went my own way. And I deserve to be here paralyzed right now. And I can't tell you the hopelessness I felt in that moment. This is how Ephesians 2 gets started. In fact, it says this, verse 1. And you were dead. The word there in the Greek actually means you are a corpse. And you were a corpse in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world. Following the prince of power of the air and the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. He's talking about Satan. Among whom we all, check that's an important word, who we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. That's all of us. From the beginning of time to the end of time, if you're a human being and you existed, this was you. It is all people, for all have sinned and come fallen short of the glory of God. It's all of us. And he's specifically talking to believers here, and he's saying, this was you. This was you. You were dead, hopeless, abandoned. Bad news. And if, and if you're not a believer here, you haven't given your life to Christ, you haven't said he's the one and only one to save me from my sins, this is your current condition in fact, the scriptures would say, you're currently a corpse, and it's bad. And he goes on, he says, uh, carrying out the desires of the body, verse 7, and the mind, and were by nature, listen to this, children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. You remember in Romans 3.23, when it says, the wages of sin is death, the condition that that some of you are currently in and some of you were in was death and decay. You're alive, you're living, you're breathing, but you're dead. The scriptures say you're a corpse. It's a bad case. It's a hopeless case. Have you ever had a situation that you've been in that's been completely hopeless? Like, honey, we're going to have to foreclose on the home and move the family into an apartment. So you just can't afford it anymore? Just the hopelessness that you feel in the midst of that? I spent my whole life and my money and my time on this business, and now I have to bankrupt it. I'm bankrupt. Just hopeless. Right? Going to the doctor's office. You have cancer. And it's bad. Right? Just the weight of that, this is where scripture says you are, or you were. And when we first came to Arizona, um, I, I had this buddy, and, and it was our very first visit here. Uh, first of all, it was hot here, 
like crazy hot. And I was like, what is this place? It's like 180 degrees out, okay? We actually did the whole egg thing where you put it out on the sidewalk and it cooked it. Oh my gosh, okay? So we decided to do the natural thing and jump in the pool because that seems smart, right, when it's hot out. So we went to his pool in the backyard and he had this table that was in the pool that you could kind of put your drinks on. And at the other side, he could play basketball and have fun. It was the deep end, right? And, and so I had my two-year-old son, Ben, at the time, and, and I put him um, on the table, on the table. And um, it just made sense to me because I'm dad and that you will stay. I, I'm dad. I'm the king of the castle. I'm telling you to stay on that table and you will. Moms, don't judge me right now, okay? Because every woman in right here now is like, this is bad. This is really bad. This is a stupid husband move. Just give me, give me some time, okay? So I sit him here and say, because I'm the man, you stay, son. Okay. And then I go over here and I start shooting hoops with my buddy. And we're having fun and having a great old time. And I look over and, of course, Ben's not there. He's in the water and he can't swim. And I'm watching my son from a distance struggle for his life. He's moving around. He's trying to stand, but he's not tall enough. He just needs to get a breath. It's completely hopeless. There's nothing he can do. He doesn't have the ability to save himself. He's dying. And and Ephesians 2, 1 and 3 says, That either is you currently or that was you. If you've given your life to Christ, this was your past. And it's hopeless. If you have not yet given your life to Christ, this is where you currently reside. And that's why your life is spent trying so hard to spin wheels to make things happen. And it never satisfies Then there's this great little word in verse 4. But. Oh, isn't that a great word? But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love which he loved us. Just take that in right now. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, our sins, when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated with him in the heavenly places in Jesus Christ so that in the incoming, uh, 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 the coming ages you might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Isn't that a great passage? Isn't that an amazing passage? Scripture says you were dead without hope of saving yourself, but, but, but because of God and because he loves you, he sent Jesus who loved you enough to die on a cross for your sins and now you're ransomed. Isn't that great news? That's great news. <laughs> Believers, this is your present condition. This is what Jesus did for you. That's great news. Doesn't that word change everything? That little word but changes everything. Hopelessness, despair. But, right? Can you imagine if it just stopped at verse 3? We'd be like, ugh. 
the Bible's the worst book ever. But he has that little word, just transitional word, that, but hold on, right? Isn't there hope in that word, right? You're balding, but, huh? <laughs> you can grow facial hair, hey! <laughs> right? right? I think you are super weird, but, I kind of think that's cute. Yay! Yes! Right? I think your church is kind of weird and lame. Oh. But the pastor's good looking. Yay! Oh, no. That's terrible. <laughs> Forgive me, Lord. I'm sorry. That was terrible. That was terrible. I hope he forgives me for that one. You were bankrupt, but somebody paid it for you. Right? You have cancer, but there's a cure. Doesn't that just bring hope into your life? This hopeless situation that you were in, but God loved you enough to die, to send Jesus to die on the cross for your sins. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome that that's there? And not only that, but in verse 6 he says, not only did he die on the cross for our sins, but he raised us up. The word there is regenerated. He regenerates us. Uh, the word literally means to change radically for the better, to restore. As I saw my son drowning, be moved with love and compassion for him. I ran after him. I put my hand in the water. I put him in the air. He took a breath. He's regenerated through my love and compassion for him. And that's what Jesus did for you because he loves you. He regenerates you. You were dead, you had no hope, you were trying so hard, and he brings you alive through Jesus' death on the cross. And not only that, but it says he seats us in the heavenly throne. Do you know what he says there? You know what he says there? I'm going to give to you everything that I had preordained for you to have in the beginning, but because of sin separated that. But now that I've regenerated you, you now get to get back your namesake in heaven, which is authority. Isn't that great? He gives back everything that we lost because of sin and now because of regeneration, because he has literally raised us up. We now get that place back in heaven. Do you remember the prodigal son? The, the prodigal son, he goes away, he sins, he lives a decrepit life. He comes back to the father, he repents. Father, forgive me, I, I, I've been terrible. I, I, I have not listened to you, and, and I'll just, I'll be your slave. Let me do anything. I've sinned against you, and I've sinned against heaven. And the father goes, well, hold on. You're my son, you came home. I'm gonna restore unto you the namesake. You get authority in my home. Here's a robe, here's a ring, here's sandals. I'm gonna throw a party for you. That's literally, 
As Jesus died on the cross and you, through faith, recognize him as the one and only Savior, that that is your reward. That is the promise that Scripture makes to you as a believer in Jesus Christ. Isn't that great? Isn't that great? But see, Paul's nervous. He's nervous. He's just presented this great truth. And he's nervous that, that people aren't going to understand it or, or they're going to take it for granted. And so he has to go on and he has to explain why this great gift came around. Because it doesn't make sense. Why would an, a, a righteous, holy God come and save a sinless, decrepit people? Why? Why would he do that? Paul is needing to explain this gift to his hearers so they won't take it for granted. And this is important. So verse 8 and 9. For by grace, if you just close your eyes and, and hear this. For by grace... God's grace, God's mercy on you, the thing you didn't deserve, you didn't earn it, nothing. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. This is not about you or anything you've done. It's only by the grace of God that you get to heaven through faith in him. This is the dividing issue among Christendom and any other world religion. This is what draws a line in the sand and makes us completely different than everyone else because we stand over here and we say, only by Jesus' death on the cross. Others came over here and they said, no, 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 it's Jesus' death on the cross and a bunch of good stuff, a goodie bag that you take to heaven with you. This, these two verses are probably some of the most important verses in the entire Bible. In fact, if you throw these verses away and you don't believe in these verses, throw the Bible away. Throw it away. Because these two verses affect everything in Scripture. So if you don't believe this, throw the Bible away. It's that important. And it was so important that, can I give you a little church history for a second? Are you down? Yeah. Okay, cool. In the 16th century, they would have these big councils, okay, and where they would come and they would kind of debate scripture and what does it mean for the believer, what does it mean for the church, and how should we live different. They created doctrine out of it, things that we believe that scripture is saying. In the 16th century, they had one of these councils. It was called the Council of Trent, okay, and the number one issue that they were having was this verse because on one side, you had a crew of people who are saying, nope, it's by faith plus works that you get to heaven. And Martin Luther stood on this side. Remember Martin Luther? Martin Luther stood on this side and said, sola fida, faith alone. Faith only is what gets you to heaven. That's it. And as a result of that council, every world religion went this way and Protestants started here. 
This is where Protestantism started. This is where Christendom started moving forward because of these two verses. So wouldn't you say that's kind of a big deal? It's a huge deal. And see, we intrinsically don't like this. Intrinsically, it makes us very uncomfortable because what it literally says, the doctrine of, of, of sola fide, what it literally says is it has nothing to do with you. You don't earn it. There's nothing you can do. Nothing. It's all about God. And we don't like that because we like to earn stuff. We like to create our kingdoms. We like to be the master of our own universe. Except that this verse says it doesn't work. And it'll never work. See, our world says, oh, but wait a second. I'm going to be able to get to heaven because I'm good. I'm good. I'm a good person. You hear that all the time. I'm a good person. Why do you think you're going to get to heaven? Well, because I'm a good person. And I promise you, you're going to get to heaven, and you're going to claim that as your case. And, and Psalms 53.3 says, no one is good. No, not one. There's not a single individual from time past to time future that is going to stand before almighty, righteous, holy God and say, I'm good enough to be here. It won't happen. And can we just be honest? It's arrogant. It's completely arrogant to think, to, to, to stand before Almighty God who is righteous and perfect, who the angels cover their eyes and worship to him in adoration that we as human sinful beings would stand before Almighty God and go, I made it in because I'm good. It's arrogant. And so, and then we say, oh, well, let me tell you why I'm good. Let me show you my good deeds so that when I get to heaven, I can... I can go to God, I can look at all the good stuff I did, and that'll prove I'm a good person, right? And so we say things like, look, I went to church every Sunday. The pastor was terrible, but I went. I went because I love you, right? It, 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 I served in children's ministry. That little brat bit my shin. <laughs> and I wanted to smack him on the head, and I didn't. I just said, God bless you, you little brat, Okay? I serve in the parking ministry, right? I, I, I help people park cars. Those people are heathens for a parking spot. They scream at us. And all we're trying to do is get them in a, in a proper place so they can get in and out, and they yell at us. And, and I just, mm, Godspeed. <laughs> Hope you have a great day. Okay, that's what I said, because I love you, right? And, and I read my Bible. I hate it. I hate every second of it, but I read it for you. Okay, it, it completely doesn't make any sense to me, and I blow through it, but I'm doing it for you, right? And we start ripping off this list. I, I have a not of this world sticker on the back of my car that's so big it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a traffic hazard because I love you. I listen to Caleb every single day, every moment I can get it because I love you, right? And we start ripping off this list of stuff that we claim is going to make us good. And I'm going to give you a passage. And, and I've wrestled with this passage, and I pray that you do. And it's Isaiah 64, 6, and it says this. All your righteous deeds before an almighty, righteous, holy, pure God 
are as filthy rags. Every righteous deed, everything you deem as righteous and holy and you try to present before God is like a filthy rag to him. Do you know why? Because he's perfect. And it is arrogant when we think that we can go to heaven before Almighty God and say, look at all the great stuff I did. This is why you need to let me in. This is why I'm good enough to be into heaven. It's arrogance. Because what you say in that moment is this. I know you sent Jesus to die on the cross for my sins, but that wasn't enough. Jesus wasn't enough. And so I had to do a bunch of good stuff in order to, to, to kind of counterbalance what he didn't do on the cross so that I could make it into heaven. Do you see that? How that's not right? How it just doesn't make sense? And that's why Martin Luther stood before that council and said, sola fida. That is how you get to heaven. Faith in Christ, depending upon the grace that he's given to us, faith only in Christ is what gets you to heaven. How is it that mankind thinks they can save themselves? We freak out when finances go down the tube. We freak out when we get lost. How is it that we think we can be responsible for our eternal resting place? In Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, comes back and says, there is one answer, and the answer is Jesus. That Jesus' death on the cross was so astronomical that it covered the sins of mankind so that you and I would never have to feel the weight of earning God, of earning heaven. He took that away. Can I just tell you? Give up. Stop it. Take a break. If you want to serve God, come to know Jesus and serve him because you love him, not because you think that's going to get you into heaven. Sola fida, faith alone is what gets us to heaven, not anything that you and I have ever done. And as I was laying on the ground between these two rocks and these two trees, and I looked up, I saw my dad running for me. And he had a look on his face of worry that his son was dead. And he was running so fast that he was almost tripping over his feet. The momentum was carrying him forward. And he ran down to me. And he picked me up. And he carried me up the hill. He put me in my bed. He took out every thorn that was in my flesh. He cleaned every wound and didn't say a word. He did it because he loved me. And the kicker is, I didn't deserve one ounce of that grace, of that mercy. There was nothing in that moment I could do to rescue myself. I needed my father 
to take care of it for me. And he did because he loved me, not because of anything I did. Are you tracking with me? You need Jesus. He's the answer. He's the one that you've been looking for. He's the one that wants to fill that hole that you've been stuffing with everything else under the sun that does not satisfy. He's the answer. He wants to save you by grace, but it is your responsibility to respond to this call and say, Jesus, I need you, and it's through you and you only that I get to heaven, that I find true satisfaction, that life begins to, to make sense. It's only through you. And I want to give our church an opportunity to respond to this because I think it's too powerful just for me to walk off the stage and pretend like it didn't happen, like you didn't just hear that. There are some of you here who have been wrestling for years and trying to find significance and satisfaction. And today is the day you need to respond to the fact that Jesus loves you in your corpse-like condition and he wants to rescue you. And if you would just have the humility to give up those things you've been holding onto and surrender to Almighty Savior, he will rescue you today. And all of heaven will throw a party because the lost son has come home. Matthew, uh, Matthew 10, 32 says, If you acknowledge me, anyone who acknowledges me here on earth, I will acknowledge him in heaven. So if you're today, if you've never made the decision to follow Jesus for the first time, would you stand to your feet and say, Jesus, I need you and you only. Would you stand to your feet if you want to be a believer in Jesus Christ for the first time? Stand. Don't sit down. Becoming a believer of Jesus Christ is one of the most amazing things in the earth. And I, and I, and I think it's one of these things that we kind of take for granted. And we kind of say, take it like a pill and they can just all be over and done. And it's so much more than that. So I want to encourage you today, if you made that decision to follow Jesus, that it just starts now. And, and, and you're going to have to work hard. You're going to have to turn. The scriptures say you need to turn in repentance and follow Jesus Christ to submit your life to him, to realize that it's about him and about him only. For you believers in the room, those of you who claim to be believers of Jesus Christ, some of you have not been living for the Savior. If, so, if, if Jesus was to come back today, you would feel like, I have not done what he's asked me to do. I, I keep trying to earn him. I come to church so that I, I feel better about my life that I live throughout the week. And, and Sunday morning for me is like a pick-me-up because of how I live my life during the week. I'm asking you this morning to stand up and repent 
to give your life over to Christ anew, that you will follow him and him only. You will live your light in life uh, in light of his grace and mercy in your life. So if that's you and you feel like you need to start over, you need to make a recommitment to really truly follow after Christ, stand up. Stand up. Stand up if that's you. Don't sit down. Don't sit down. Believers, standing up means nothing. What, what you need to do is go live in light of this decision that you've choose, chosen to live in today. I appreciate your strength uh, in, in, in standing up, but I'm, I'm asking you to go live different, to go live in light of the sacrifice that Christ has made for you, that you would help change the world because of what he's doing inside of your life. In fact, in verse 10, do we know he calls believers his masterpiece? The word in the Greek is poema, which we get our word poem from, and God says you are his poem. And he wants you to go live in light of that, that you would change the world as a result of what he's doing in your life and not live in the sinfulness that you've been living in. And the, the word repentance is a military term that literally means as the, the troops are marching, someone says, repent, and they turn and they walk a different direction. I'm asking all of you who have committed or saying you want to recommit that you would do that this morning. Would you do that? Would you do that? I'm going to ask you all to pray with me. And pray quietly or out loud, I don't care. Lord God, I need you. I've, I've done it so long on my own efforts. And God, I submit my life to you. I realize I'm sinful. That anything good is a result of you and your grace on my life. God, would you forgive me of my sins? And I acknowledge as you and you only as my Savior. And God, I pray a blessing over all these people. And I pray a special blessing for those who are, are still working on trying to figure you out, God, that they would come to you, that they would submit their lives to you. Thank you for being a God of grace and the fact that, that we are all sitting here today as a result of your grace on our lives, that we're alive and God, that we would live in light of that. And God, we give you all the glory, honor, and praise for what an amazing God you are. Amen. Would you guys support your brothers and sisters and stand up? Hey, we're, uh, we're going we're gonna to take, the ushers are going to come down, and then we're going to take an offering. And this is a great opportunity for you to respond uh, in obedience to God. And, and, and as a staff person, and I know Ryan would say the same thing, thank you for being obedient to uh, giving here in this place. It means a lot to us and our livelihoods depend upon it. This church depends upon it. And so we just wanna say thank you for being obedient in that. And if, if you came to know the Christ for the first time, uh, find some people. And in fact, if you saw somebody who stood up, just rally around them, encourage them and pray for them. If you, you were standing around somebody who uh, recommitted their lives. Would you just kind of give them a hug and tell them, hey, I'm here for you or I'm praying for you. Or do something. Let's come together as a family and love on each other. So.
very cool. Hey, we're going to sing a song real quick. This song is, is profound to what we've just learned today. It literally is, God, all I want is you. I just want you. I don't need anything else in this world. I just need you. Would you celebrate with your voices? To God be the glory. Amen. <laughs>